will take out your song books and turn to number 283. We'd like to look at a lesson today. You were ready for the pop quiz, right? That's kind of the intro to a lesson on our need to be ready for various things that are taught in the Scriptures, particularly the New Testament, but also taught by example from the Old, as Romans 15, verse 4 teaches us. But this is a song that I was looking up as, Are You Ready? and I couldn't find it in the songbook in the back. But it's called, There's a Great Day Coming, but we sing it often, we sing it well, and how true it is that we want to be ready for the judgment day. Oh, I forgot to tell you, there will be no pop quiz today. And even if we were starting a new semester and we were all back in college or high school, for the old ones in here, I'll just put myself in there, we might recover from a bad grade on the pop quiz. We might really have to buckle up and study harder and make higher grades than we'd anticipated. But we might recover from that. Look up, if you will, underneath the title of this song. and As it is common in hymnals, sometimes a verse will appear that might have been the motivation for the ones writing and composing the music for the song. Or just something that the editors and publishers of the hymnal thought would be most appropriate. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is mentioned. And the comment for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And how true that is. I'll have to be there. I can't opt out. You'll be there. All of us will be there in that death. Thus the need and the question in the song are you ready? This won't be the only thing that we'll be looking at. But it is practically under that umbrella that all of these other things that we will be looking at will be needed to look at and be discussed. Jesus said in John 14, beginning in verse 1, New King James, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I believe, and I continue to study this verse, as there's some brethren that think that this is limited to the church, but I believe it's talking about heaven. I know that in the end, 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that Jesus will give the church, or the saved of all time, but inclusive of those faithful in the church, to the Father when he puts down all rule and authority and power as we read in that text. So I believe it's inclusive of that and not exclusive of the judgment day and things that will be thereafter. But there are the goats, and we do not want to be in the category of the goats. Appreciate so much the words of the prayer, and we need to live that prayer. We need to be willing to put our focus on God's Word. And as much as our attitudes, our actions, and the altitude that we seek should all be considered in our spiritual walk. We need to walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian, study like a Christian, behave like a Christian, want the church to grow like a Christian should, 
and so on and so forth as we feed and learn according to our several abilities. There's nothing so bad as being unprepared. And we also have songs of that nature. Oh, how sad to face the judgment, unprepared to meet thy God. But the converse is true. Oh, how, what a happy day, what a bright day coming is mentioned in Are You Ready? Or There's a Great Day Coming. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, there's some instruction there concerning, I believe, our growth as a Christian, not just for the elders and the deacons and the gospel preachers and the teachers of Bible classes or an elite class of Christians, but rather, as we're taught in Hebrews 5, 10 through the end of the chapter, we're all supposed to grow in the Word. Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, But sanctify, that is, set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready. There's the be ready part. What, what is this teaching, Peter? To give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Should the baby Christian that has obeyed the gospel at least be willing if someone says, why did you do all of that? Why did you respond and, and confess that with the mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and I heard that you believed the word and you repented of all your past sins and you let someone physically immerse you in a pool of water or in the ocean or swimming pool or something deep enough to be immersed. And everybody was so happy right after that event. And, and maybe tears of joy were expressed. And everyone came up and patted you on. Why did you do that? Well, certainly the one who, who submitted to that doesn't have a boastful, meritorious work to talk about, like lifting 500 pounds 12 times on the bench press or some physical feat that was done. Sometimes it's alleged that that's what Christians members of the Lord's Church believe that somehow uh, submitting to water baptism in the likeness, Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ so that we can emulate that, contact the blood of Christ, and it's the blood of Christ that saves us from our sins. We're just submitting to the Word of God, and it's an act of obedience unto God's Word that if we'll do what God said do, He'll do what He says He's going to do, which is forgive us of all past sins in the instance of one being baptized in order to become a Christian. And as we grow and mature as babes and desire the sincere milk of the Word, that we may grow thereby. Also in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 2. That's 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 2. That's mandatory. It's not optional. Babes in Christ or to desire doesn't say the meat at that particular point in their development, but desire the milk that they may grow thereby. Peter also has stated by inspiration, so it's the mind of God as we were talking about Wednesday night, that we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's actually in a command form. That's the last verse of 2 Peter, the last verse of 2 Peter, chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge. So it's just important that we hear that command and that we seek to understand what it means and then to actuate it in our life 
And that means we're not going to stop at the milk, but rather after feeding on the milk. And we can love the milk. There's nothing wrong with the milk. There's nothing wrong for a mature Christian to love the milk. But don't exclude the meat. And thereby exclude or, or inhibit the growth that God wants of all Christians. There are several different words that are used in the Bible concerning ready, and we'll not do a deep dive on that in, in this particular study, but look at just a few key points. First is the idea of being ready. I said there's going to be a pop quiz in jest today. What if I told you that Jesus will be here at 10 till 11 Eastern time? Am I ready? Are you ready? Would we need to turn this into uh, more of prayer rather than educational teaching? We might admonish one another, but if we really knew we had about 10 minutes left before Jesus appeared for the judgment day, there's no making it up. We're told. We've already been warned. What is our state? As best we know before God. <coughs> We need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us, but we need to be ready for the judgment day under that same umbrella, don't we? There's great value in being ready for lots of things. It prevents embarrassment. It prevents disappointment. It takes away heartache. It makes a person more calm. If they're ready to give a speech and they practiced it 15 times, they should be more calm than if they haven't practiced that speech at all. It makes sometimes people brave. It makes certain people successful. And it's the right thing to do when things are serious is to repair and be ready. Sometimes people are not able to give an answer because they're not ready to give an answer. Sometimes it's not given because of lack of knowledge. Sometimes it's not given because of lack of courage. This can apply to those who are on the meet. You know what the answer is. Someone asks you a Bible question and you say, well, we're here in Walmart. I mean, that's just, I'm just going to kind of avoid this. Maybe another opportunity will come. Well, they ask. Let's pursue uh, sitting down somewhere. Maybe that gets us out of the Walmart if that's the case. But we need to be ready as opportunities come, have the knowledge as we grow, and not lack courage. Sometimes an answer is not given because of lack of interest in the lost. I've got myself in the Lord's church, and I'm maturing, and I've got my own study to do, and then we're not helping another person in a spiritual activity if they ask a Bible question of us, even if it's a toughie, even if it's one that might cause us to lose a friend, no matter how nicely we deliver the truth, because the question may be of such a nature that will cause the truth to hurt. Sometimes the truth hurts. When the truth shows that we need to make an adjustment in our life or when a congregation or a religious body overall needs to not be doing that or endorsing that, then someone says, well, is that right? And we say, well, God's book says this. They turn and we see the back of their head. We're afraid sometimes that people will get mad at us when they're the ones that ask us the Bible question. 
we need to feel like, well, why did they ask me a Bible question in the first place? That's a good thing, isn't it? Instead of going somewhere else, that, that's a wonderful thing if they're asking us the Bible question. Let us be read. In Titus 3 and 1 Timothy 6, let's go over near 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, about being ready to every good work. Well, the Bible is going to have to be the determining factor as to what is a good work because the world has a different standard. The world doesn't use the New Testament, for example, as the standard for what a good work is. So it gets very confusing sometimes when somebody says, well, aren't you for good works? Won't you donate to our cause? And maybe it's a spiritual cause, but they teach damnable doctrine. I can't give to that as a Christian. Well, isn't that a good work? Shouldn't you donate some of the money out of your own pocket mark to this spiritual cause? Seems like a good work to me. Well, when we read God's Word, we find we're not supposed to endorse or encourage false teaching and those that have departed or are not following the pattern of New Testament Christianity. Get to Titus 3, please, and verse 1. Then we'll back up into Timothy's. Titus 3, verse 1. Paul is writing to young man Titus, who is a Christian, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. This is spiritual instruction, New Testament instruction on the subject. Well, let's look a little deeper and peel the onion in 1 Timothy 6 about being rich. 1 Timothy 6, 18. Are we rich in the aspect of doing good works, not receiving good things ourselves? Well, verse 18 says, New King James Version, Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Here it comes, ready to give. We need to be ready to give. But we just need to be careful how we give and to whom we give. Willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And in 2 Timothy 2, and verse 21, along this same type of thought. <coughs> Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So there's this idea we need to be a ready person, Titus 3, 1. To every good work, but we need to categorize that by studying God's Word so we know what every good work would be. And it's every good work, not just any work or every work, and it's a work. And we might have to end up doing some activity for it to be ready to be a good work. What if it's to go and take care of someone who's indigent, that has come home from the hospital and they have no family? Would it be a good work to go help someone who's come home from the hospital that can't take care of themselves or to take them food? We Well, I want to be ready to another work. I, I don't want that one. Well, sometimes we don't get to pick and choose the opportunities that come along our way. There are causes that exist that we see good and fit the mold of that which we can give to and contribute to as, 
individuals from our own pocket, from our own funds, and yet there are other opportunities that come that we need to be mindful of. So if we're going to be ready to every good work, then we've got those that we're already planning on giving to, and then here comes an opportunity to help someone like the illustration of one coming home from the hospital, and we say, no, I'm already doing some other good works. We need to be careful for that word, every. And of course, it's limited by our ability and opportunity as we have in this life. Now let's move on to another concept, which is ready for his return. As we spoke, uh, we would only have uh, two more minutes in the illustration I gave, and Jesus will be here again. Are we ready? And, and it's worth revisiting multiple times, and I found this to be quite interesting. Didn't check it out, but it comes from a reliable source. More than 300 times in the New Testament, there's a verse that speaks of Christ's coming. Whether it's literal, or whether it's a type, or a symbol, or a parable about Jesus coming again, or whether it's in prophecy. In the New Testament, that computes to about one verse in every 20 to 25 verses. I'm not saying that God can't say something just once and it'd be very important. God says it. That settles it. But this, what about baptism? About 108 times in the New Testament. Well, what about the Lord's Supper? That's very important. Absolutely it is. I'm not saying that we, we put it on the scoreboard and, and that the Lord's return is going to win out. But I'll tell you, the Lord's return is very important. Isn't it? It's, that's it. For this life, that is it. For me and for you, it's the judgment day. We, we're about out of time. We don't know when Jesus will come again. Don't you want to be ready? Bad enough to give up what the devil's dangling on trinkets to each one of us to make it where we're not ready to go. In Matthew 24... I believe it is the case, and we mentioned this before, and I'd love to study with someone who believes differently that there's a natural division in answering the two or three questions that are at the beginning of the chapter, and that part of the answer is about the destruction of Jerusalem, and we need to be careful using the verses that are prior to verse 35 about the judgment day. But in verse 35 and 36, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 36 may be the division of the answering of when's Jesus going to return again? When's the judgment day going to be? But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus speaking here. So, isn't that an indication when the questions were asked, Earlier in the text, verse 3, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. If the sign of his coming has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem, it's given. If it's not referring to that, but the sign of his coming is the judgment day, he goes on to say, they won't know. Nobody knows as we read except the Father in heaven. Verse 37 says, But as the days of Noah were, 
so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So I think that's beginning to answer about the judgment day. We need to be ready for His return. Now what are the purposes of His return? Well, to judge everybody. We started that with we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ out of the passage in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Well, that's not the only purpose. John 5 and verse 28-29 talks about the resurrection of the just and the unjust. It's at the same time, not separated by a thousand or a thousand and seven years as different types of theologians may say. But we've got to have raising of the dead. Then we've got the transformation of the bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. God will take care of that. I don't know how it's all going to be. Some people's bodies have been burned up. Some have been involved in explosions. God will piece Some have been eaten by sharks, yes. Don't want to get the kids excited about being fearful of sharks, but we need to all have a healthy respect for sharks. God will put the bodies back, and they will be transformed. I believe it says in the twinkling of an eye, and prepared for eternity in one of two places. The judgment, as we've mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5.10, the kingdom delivered up, I mentioned that earlier in the lesson, and that's in 1 Corinthians 15.23-28. That's 1 Corinthians 15.23-28. And then there's this, and so shall we ever be. <laughs> so we're going to either, so shall we ever be in the lake of fire, with the devil and his angels and all the bad and unfaithful of all time, or we'll enter into the joys of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, and that's also eternal. A conscious existence in both places. Some are teaching an easy hell. Well, you'll just miss out on heaven for eternity. You'll just be in an unconscious, dormant state You'll not know anything. You'll not feel any pain. There'll be no anguish. That doesn't match up to what the Bible teaches on eternal punishment. Not so bad if it's the other way. No pain. No consciousness. It's not the picture that the Bible depicts. Thus more proof and evidence that we need to be ready for His return. Did you notice in the prayer, and I'm glad it was said, there were so many good things said in the, in the prayer, that we need to be willing to give our all because of everything that God the Father did in giving Jesus the Son for all of us. That was a huge gift. Was it a gift to get? Well, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> but I know that we get a lot out of the sacrifice of Jesus' Son. What did the Father get out of that? He's expressing His love, John 3.16. He's providing an example for us that He's willing to give an empty heaven of Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, if we will submit to Him. Remember Peter? We don't want to pick on Peter too much. We might be like Peter, myself included. Always excited to want to do, but sometimes writing a check with your mouth that your actions don't always follow through on. That's not good. Very willing to be humble and penitent, 
in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke 22:33. Luke 22:33. Peter is going to tell Jesus he's willing to die. He's willing to go to prison for Jesus Christ. Verse 33, Luke 22. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. Notice, both to prison and to death. And then Jesus says, back to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And it happened. God didn't change the free will of Peter. No, Peter acted on his own free will. He was even told how he was going to sin. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And he did. But he did experience prison later on. Acts 5, verses 18 and 41, and we'll not turn over there. And by tradition, that is uninspired text that we have of history... We hear that he was crucified for the cause of Christ, possibly upside down. Possibly because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified right side up. So, how about you and me? Are we ready to give our all? Both to go to prison and even to die? Now, that's our life. Now, what if we take some children here? Whoa, wait a minute, Mark. You're getting real personal. Abraham was told to go take his only son, and what did he do? The Bible says he got up early the next morning. I believe I'd have started hesitating. I might have gone, but it might have been two steps forward and then one step back. Lord, I'm still one step in the direction of where I'm supposed to go and, and do this act. And while he did not physically execute or sacrifice his son he was willing to and the Bible gives him credit for as had been done it in his heart, in his mind, in his being that's a huge gift a huge gift but if we're willing to give our all well that's a lot well then when we start really seeing what God asks us to do he's not asking that, that much of us is he? He hasn't asked us to give our children. He did Abraham, but he didn't ask us to do that in New Testament times. But he does want our best. In Revelation 2.10, and I've mentioned this before, but I've never tried to, I guess, really shore it up with any documentation, and I'll go ahead and, and do that because I'm working from a, a lesson that was uh, not in all forms original, but was researched by Dad. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Maybe you've heard that, and maybe you think, well, we're just supposed to be faithful until we die. That is, however long our lifetime is, we're to be faithful. And that's included in Bible teaching. But when you peel the onion on this verse, and I continue to go back to it, and look at it. It means be faithful even if you have to die for it. That's another translation, New Testament in modern speech. Be faithful even if you have to die for it. 
another comment. Every one of you must prove to be faithful even if you have to die. That's from Williams, a translation in the language of the people. A quote by Knox says, Keep faith with me to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. It doesn't mean that if we're not executed because of our spirituality, we don't have hope of eternal life. But this requirement of us is even if the government changes, and I hope it does in America, I pray if it be the Lord's will that it doesn't, but it may. And I like how carefully the parts of the prayer we had today were worded in that regard. We, our brothers and sisters in Christ were living in the early days of the beginning of the church in Acts 2, 3, and 4, and 5, up to the persecution, Acts 8, of being scattered abroad. And after Acts 8, when they got scattered abroad, going to services somewhat concerned about somebody like a Paul, Saul, coming in with letters to jerk people out of the service and take them for inflicted punishment or up to and including death. By show of hands, did anybody this morning wake up worried about that happening in this service today? It didn't even enter my mind. We have so much to be thankful for in this country, and we need to pray for our brethren in other countries because even today in 2021, it's not like that all around the world, but it's that way in America. We were born here, most of us. We weren't imports, <laughs> if you will. And if a person is an import, that is an immigrant, they come in in this generation of their lifetime and become an American citizen, what a blessing it is for the freedoms that come. And then not to take advantage of that. <laughs> that should make it easier on us to do more for the Lord instead of impede us. We need to be willing to be faithful unto death. Pulpit commentary says, even if fidelity, meaning being true to God, involves death, unto martyrdom, Johnson's note says in volume 2, page 421. Haley's commentary says to hold the faith and not deny the Lord even to the point of dying for the faith. The Lord is not saying until you die, though this is required. <laughs> we have to be faithful until we die or we would be unfaithful and meet the Lord in that condition, right? But he is saying accept death rather than recant. Where do you and I stand before God today? Are we ready? Is there any legitimate excuse for us not being ready? Do we not know how to become a Christian? Is that where we need to, to start? Well, then let's roll up our sleeves and start studying about that. Try to help someone if they're interested. We have things that are uncorrected that we need to correct before man and God. Let's get that taken care of if that is the case. Are there others that are just a drive of a mile or two away or five miles from this building? that know what's going on here, that need to be encouraged or given a loving nudge, just, just some word of encouragement. We don't know. But let us be ready to every good work. And if the Bible teaches that's a good work, and we want to be rich in good works, won't we pick up the phone this week maybe and tell them we'd love to see them back in services? Do we have enough oil in our lap? 
That's from Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Where's your wedding garment? That's from Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And are we ready like a bride is ready for her husband? I know the groom can be late to the ceremony, and I know things can happen and the dresses don't arrive on time, and things don't start just on the moment. But the bride is trying to be ready for the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. Christ doesn't even know. The Father will turn and say, it's time. Let us, myself at the top of the list, be encouraged because we are warned. Jesus is ready to save. God has done his part. All things are ready. Let us continue with a good attitude of heart and a consciousness about the judgment day. Do what we can. Among all other activities that are right, with our jobs and recreation in its proper place, to be ready in that final day. I hope I have encouraged you and not discouraged you. It's not too big a task. God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't fix it where it's so hard that nobody will be able to be there. There's grace and there's mercy. It will not be by meritorious, boastful works. But we show God we love Him, as has been mentioned many times, by doing what God says do to the best of our ability. That's what love in action is. So let us be about our Father's business. Your subject in any way, or we can assist you. We bid you come while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Ooh.